You're listening to The Mom Inspired Show, episode 81 with Erin Odom. I think it was within a year and a half or so, um, I was making more money on the blog than my husband was making teaching, and I was doing it all from home during my kids' nap times and while they were sleeping at night. Welcome to The Mom Inspired Show. I'm your host, Amber Sandberg, and this show is created to inspire, encourage, and add a little extra fun to your day. Erin, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks so much for having me, Amber. Of course. So I like to start off every show with an icebreaker and I love to travel. So what is your favorite vacation spot that you have gone to and why? And this can be with or without kids. I love this question. So I have no hesitations with answering Costa Rica. My husband and I met in Costa Rica in 2005. No, no, no. 2003, right after I got out of college, he had lived there for two years. I lived there for a year. And I'd actually gone and studied there in college one summer after my freshman year, fell in love with the country, fell in love with the people. And so in 2015, we were able to take our three older children. This is long before we knew number four was going to be a part of our lives. We took the three girls to Costa Rica for uh, about five and a half weeks. And oh, wow. It was, That's nice. It was, it was <laughs> great. It, it wasn't vacation the whole time. We went and stayed with some old friends. We actually went to a Spanish language school for a couple of weeks. We did some mission work while we were there. And then we did take, like the last week we were there was the only true vacation week of the summer. But we enjoyed it so much. We were in our element. My husband and I both speak Spanish. And if somebody said, you could go back to Costa Rica, you know, once a month, I would say, yes, send me there. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Um, So how long would you say would be great to go there if you were just going for a vacation? Do you feel like a week is enough? You know, if a week is all you can do, then go. I love Costa Rica. Absolutely go. I would say if you could take two or three weeks, it's going to be better. But you can you could see a good amount in a week, depending on how much you want to travel. Or if you just want to go chill at one of the beaches, you could totally do that too. There's uh, my favorite one is called Manuel Antonio because it's the beach, but it's right beside. It's like a national park, and so it's in the rainforest. So oh, you have nice. the beach. The mountains aren't too far. You have the rainforest where you can walk through and see sloths and monkeys and all kinds of birds. And so that's a really good spot to go if you just have a short time period you can go in. That's awesome. No, that sounds cool. Well, let's jump into the interview. Um, How about you tell us a little bit about yourself? So your name, where you're from and how many kids you have, and then we'll jump into how you got to where you are today. Hey, so my name is Erin Odom. I've been married to my husband, Will, for almost 13 years. We live outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. We have four children, three little girls. They're five, seven. My oldest will be 10 this summer. And then we have a little boy who is 13 months old. He was our wonderful surprise. And um, they all have red hair. So we have a very spirited household. The, <laughs> the old say with the redheaded tippers, they all have red hair. And my husband and I are natural redheads too. So it's, oh, wow. it's, it's quite fun. Um, I part-time homeschool my kids two days a week. And I work from home running the humbledhomemaker.com. And I also am an author. And um, I'm just excited to be on your show and hopefully encourage your listeners. Yeah. So that leads me to my first question with you. Um, having your blog and you know being an author. Um, how did you how did you get to start your blog? We'll start with that first before we jump into your books. 
Yeah, well, it's a really interesting story, Amber. I um, majored in journalism, journalism and Spanish when I was in college. Always loved to write, but back in the day, blogs didn't exist. So it wasn't exactly the career path I was seeking when I was in college. And um, grew up, went to Costa Rica, met my husband there. While I was in Costa Rica, I was teaching and doing mission work. And when I came back to the United States, um, I really put my writing hat up. I really didn't write for a while. I taught um, ESL, English as a Second Language, in public schools for a while. And then when our oldest child was 13 months old, we decided to try to make me staying at home work. Well, we quickly learned that um, we were struggling financially because we um, couldn't fully survive on my husband's income. He was um, teaching high school Spanish at the time in North Carolina. And so I started to think, what are some of the gifts that I have that I could put to use and begin to earn money from home? And so I contacted an old editor I had written for right before I went to Costa Rica at a newspaper I had um, I'd worked for. And I knew he was in the area and I asked if he was looking for any freelancers and he was. So I began freelancing for his newspaper and he actually was the uh, managing editor of like three or four different newspapers. So I started that gig for a few years. And when I was almost about to have my second child, the editor, the um, the editor right underneath him who kind of managed me, he said, Aaron, would you be interested in writing a column about motherhood for the paper? Up until then, I had just done the whole journalism thing. I had interviewed other people and wrote about other people's lives, never my own. And I said, you know, I'll give that a try. I think that would be fun. So I wrote the column and then it turned into a regular column that they had in the newspaper on motherhood. And about six months into the column writing, my editor said to me around the same week that my best friend and college roommate said to me, Aaron, you would be really good as a mom blogger. Now, this was 2011. Blogs had existed for quite a while, but for some reason, I was pretty oblivious to them. I didn't realize there was this whole underground community of bloggers and that many of them were making full-time incomes from home. So they both suggested that to me at the same time. I decided to give it a whirl, not really thinking a whole lot was going to happen. So for the first six months, I basically just uploaded things I was writing from the paper and didn't tell anyone that I had started a blog. Six months in, so around May, June 2011, I decided, you know what, I'm going to give this a real try. I'm going to start promoting it and telling people about it. And um, within... I think it was within a year and a half or so, um, I was making more money on the blog than my husband was making teaching. And I was doing it all from home during my kids' nap times and while they were sleeping at night. Wow. I know. I feel like that's like a blogger's dream come true, you know? And um, I feel like that's, uh, would you say like that's as common as, you know, your story? Or do you feel like that's a common story? Or do you feel like you lucked out and it just happened to work versus like other people really trying to get their blogs up and going. You know, I think it's getting more, I think it's getting more common in some ways, but then I think it's also getting a little harder. Um, I think that I came into the blogging world at a really good time. Um, now it's a lot more competitive because there's a lot more people trying to make it work. I will tell you that I really hustled. Um, I really burnt myself out too. Um, if I were doing it today at 
37 as opposed to, I think I was 29 when I started my blog. I don't know if I would last very long. <laughs> you know, I don't have the same energy with four children right, in my late course. 30s as yep. I did as, with, you know, two at the time of my late 20s. Right. But I will say, I think maybe I'm a little um, subjective because I have so many friends that do this full time. Right. So you think it's normal right, in your bubble. <laughs> I feel like it's normal in my bubble. I right. do feel like there's a lot more people out there doing it than the average person would realize. Oh, for sure. You know, so for example, my husband was still teaching. Um, people would say, so what does your wife do? And he would say, well, she runs a blog. And he said they would. he would get Snickers. And people would say, oh, oh, okay. And he said, I was just thinking in my head, well, the joke's on you because she out earns me on this blog. (laughs) That's so funny. And and so, um, and for me, it's never been all about the money. I hold it with an open hand because God is the great provider. That is my ultimate belief. I trust in Jesus to provide. Um, But it has been such a blessing for our family. And it, it really combines my passions and my gifts so well. So I would say there's mom listening, interested in doing this, I would say if blogging is something that really, uh, you know, writing and media in general, if it's something that matches your gifts and your passions, I would say to go for it. Um, But I don't think it's for everyone. I firmly believe God has gifted us each uniquely and that somebody might be listening and they might say, I would just, I could never do that because I hate writing. Well, I would say there's something else out there for you. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, that's why I started podcasting because just writing was just not my thing. And, you know, podcasting in the past couple of years has become more known and, uh, you know, people kind of only knew of blogging. And so at the time when I was thinking about what could I do, podcasting wasn't as big at, at this, at that point. And so, um, and I just kept, thinking, yeah, blogging is just not my jam. So you really, you have to do what you feel like you're called to do or what your strengths are and not try to force it to happen. Um, I was going to ask you, so how do you feel like everybody found your blog to the point that you started, am I understanding correctly that do you get um, ads or do you do ad space? Is that how you're making your money generally off your blog? So blogging is, it's, several different income streams. So I have about six different income streams that make up our income with blogging. Um, ads is a big part of it. But I would say the the big way that I started in the beginning as far as getting exposure was networking, collaborating with other bloggers. And I still highly recommend that when you start, don't go it alone. Don't do it alone. And that was totally a godsend because Back in the day, and I think they still exist, they're, they're just not very big anymore, but there were these things called link-ups where different bloggers would host weekly link parties where you could post your blog post. You kind of like link your blog post oh, on mm-hmm. one of their blog posts. Yeah. And so um, I would do like a meal planning link-up or something like that. And there were a couple of other bloggers who would also start it around the same time I did. And they approached me one day um, after I'd only been blogging not very long, just a few months. And they said, we're looking at starting a mastermind group of new bloggers where we will support each other. We'll collaborate. Would you join us? And so it was one of those things that I was so excited about. And I felt like it was an immediate yes. I said, let me pray about it. But it did not take me long to know the answer. I said, yes. We sought out some other bloggers. I think there were seven of us maybe. And so we were a group for a long time. Some of those aren't blogging anymore. Some of them do um, other 
work at home mom gigs. But um, we really helped each other grow in the beginning. This was seven years ago. And um, there was, let's see, I'm trying to think about a year after we got together as a group, there was a series. We did several joint series, and we decided to write a series on motherhood. And we looked at the different facets of motherhood that we could each cover in our blog post. And our family was really struggling on a low income still because I was, yes, I was writing for the newspaper. I was trying the blogging thing. And... um I was doing several other different things like tutoring kids and stuff. And they, but they knew that small group of girls knew or women that we were struggling. And they said, Aaron, you would be the person to write a post on staying at home with your kids when you can barely afford it because you're doing it, but you're barely affording it. And I said, okay, I'll do that. And it was a little nerve wracking because I had never just put it out there that we were struggling. And I wrote a post called staying at home with your kids when you could barely afford it. And it was funny because it was late one night when I wrote it and I almost forgot that I had agreed to write it. And I can remember exactly where I was sitting on my couch and my, the kids were in bed. My husband was doing something else like watching a show. And I said, oh my goodness, I told the, my friends I was going to write this post. I better write it now. So I wrote it. I pushed publish. I put it out there and kind of hoping that people wouldn't really read it because <laughs> I was being so vulnerable. Yeah, right. <laughs> And that post changed the trajectory of our of our lives, really, because that post went viral. And I think somebody pinned it on Pinterest. Pinterest was very new still mm-hmm. at the time. I don't even think I had a Pinterest account myself at the time. I don't I don't know that I did. And somebody pinned it on Pinterest and it just went wild. And I woke up to tens of thousands of page views, hundreds of comments. That was in October 2012. I still get emails on a regular basis from people that will say, I read that blog post. Your story is my story. Thank mm. you for encouraging me and letting me know I'm not alone. So that post went viral. The blog really took off at that point. Um, like I said, later that year, you know, within that next year, I um, had begun to outer my husband. And it really, it happened you know, with blogging. It was like you make pennies and then it can really start to take off and you can be amazed um, and things will happen that you never imagined would happen. And in 2014, I got an email from a literary agent and he said, um, I've been reading your blog and I was wondering if you had ever considered writing a traditionally published book. What's really interesting, I prayed about it. I ended up signing with him. When I signed with him, I said, I've got little kids. At the time, they were, I think, one, three, and five. And I'm not in a place to write a book right now. And he told me, God will have you write a book when you're supposed to, and I will help you with that process. So we did, and he didn't push me. Um Later that year, before I had even written my proposal, I got an email from an editor at Zondervan's gift book division. And she said, I have been reading your blog on my maternity leave. And I read your post staying at home with your kids when you can barely afford it. Again, this is a couple years, more than a couple years after I published it, I think. And she said, would you be interested in writing a gift book on a similar topic? Wow. And so uh, fast forward to the end of 2015, I ended up finishing my proposal for my trade book, more than just making it. And they wrapped the gift book, you could stay home with your kids, into the deal and here I am today. Wow. Well, and that leads me to your 
newest book, You Can Stay Home With Your Kids. What made you decide to write this next book? So that was the book that that editor who was on her maternity leave really pitched to me. Mm. And um, I was very impressed because I spent months, really over a year, putting together a book proposal for my first book. And that's very, it's a very in-depth document. You have to go into extreme detail on what this book is going to be. And then basically they did that for me with the second book. They said, would you like to write a book called uh, You Could Stay Home With Your Kids and give 100 different tips, tricks, and ways to make it work on a budget? And I, I said I would love to because that is what I could have used when I became a stay-at-home mom in 2009. I could have used – really, I could have used a friend to come and just hold my hand and just show me these are things that you can do that are going to make a serious dent in the amount of money that you're spending and the amount of money that you're going to be able to bring in from home. And so I wrote this book uh, really as if I am a friend to those readers, a guide showing them, empowering them how they can take really bite-sized, easily digestible action steps to improve their family's overall livelihood. I love that. And that makes me want to make a point that this book is not just applicable for stay-at-home moms, but also it benefits working moms. So do you want to explain that a little bit? Absolutely. And so I know we we talked a little bit before we went on air. My heart is for all moms, Amber. And I firmly believe that God has called us each to different paths. And I always say we would live in a very boring world if we all looked the same, if we all had the same profession. You know, God isn't a cookie cutter God. And so, uh, you know, I have a friend, a good friend who's a doctor, and I am so glad she's a doctor because she's my doctor. She delivered my baby, you know, and that's what God has called her to. He has called her to be a working mom. And so even though the book is called You Can Stay Home With Your Kids, and I wrote it with tips that can empower those moms who want to stay at home, even those moms that have felt that do feel called to stay in the workforce, um, it will give them tips to help alleviate some of the pressure that they might feel um, in different areas of providing for their families. Yeah. And similar to you, I know that a lot of my listeners, you know, they do a side hustle or they blog or they're authors or they may do MLMs and stuff like that. So, you know, they are technically home, but they are also working from home versus mm-hmm. being, you know, in a nine to five corporate building or something. Um, or there's or there's people that have very flexible jobs and they do work for corporate businesses and they work at home. So um, this leads me to the uh, next question about budgets. Um, so I know budgets are important to you and they are to me as well, but I'm always shocked when people don't have a budget of any kind. And it kind of amazes me that they're not in the red all the time. And so um, with that, some people may not feel like they need a budget. So what would you say is the biggest misconception about creating a budget? I think the biggest misconception is that it's going to feel like you're boxed in and that you can never spend money. And really what I learned is that it gives you the freedom to spend money when you need to spend it. So for example, our family operates on a zero-based budget and we have a, a certain amount that every single month from our income, we put into a Christmas fund. 
So that way, when Christmas rolls around and we're Christmas shopping in November, December, we don't all of a sudden feel super stressed out. How are we going to be able to buy Christmas gifts? We have the freedom to spend what we have allotted because it's been accumulating all year and sitting there. You know, I talk in the the beginning of my book about how my husband and I didn't really have a budget when we first got married. And I felt very stressed out a lot. If I outgrew because, you know, when you have four kids, you you do grow in certain areas. My jeans, you <laughs> yeah. know, if I needed a new pair of jeans, because I couldn't fit my jeans anymore. You know, back in the day, I would feel really stressed out because I didn't know, do we have the money for me to buy new clothes? But now we have a clothing fund. And so I can feel the freedom to go out and buy a new pair of jeans if I really need to, as long as the money is there. And so it really can bring a friend a sense of freedom and really alleviate a lot of stress if you know how much money you have and how you're spending it. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I kind of think about it like when people are on like eating plans or, you know, I don't like to always say diet, but I will call it that, um, <laughs> you know, so, and I resist this too, right? Um, you know, when you think about like you have to eat this, but the thing is that if you're trying to lose weight or get fit um, or get more healthy, that's going to give you that freedom, right? So you kind of have to stay within a certain realm if you want to achieve those goals. And in the end, it is freedom. It's freedom of health or being a smaller size that makes you feel good and have more energy. Same with a budget. It's it's like, you know, if you can kind of name every, you know, dollar. So here in Nashville, it's pretty much Dave Ramsey land. So, um, you know, if you're naming every dollar, then some people may feel like, oh my gosh, that feels awful. But then you, like you said, you have that peace of mind that you know money's going towards that. So you can go, yeah, I can spend that because there's money already allotted to that. Now I'm curious with your clothing budget, is that for the whole family that you're putting money or is it for each person? That's for the whole family. Okay. So do you feel like though, uh, the kids eat up a lot of that budget before it even gets to you? You know, they do, but we buy the kids clothes. I buy most of their clothes used at consignment sales. Mm -hmm. And so I make their clothing budget last a long time. And I will often find I'm strategic. And when I'm shopping for them, I'll, I'll look for new, like new items at consignment sales. Because with my girls, now I know this will probably change as they become teenagers. But right now I could pass, I could make one outfit last for three kids. Oh, nice. Even after I've mm-hmm. bought it used. Yeah. Um, and then I can resell it if I want to. So I really, their their clothing doesn't eat up a lot of our, our income. Um, my husband and I will buy more new for ourselves, but we wear it for a really long time. And so we're not having to buy new clothes for ourselves all the time. And I do also um, buy some things used for myself on threadup.com, oh, yeah. which is a mm-hmm. uh, online consignment. Yes. Yeah. I love it. Um, Okay. So speaking of budget for us, it's our grocery bill. Like that Mm -hmm. is the thing that kills me every time. (laughs) And so I'm curious, especially with your, you know, size of family, you know, um, how do you guys keep that under control? Do you have any tips for that? 
I, yes, I do. But I will, I totally affirm you and say, I hear you because (laughs) as our kids are getting older, we say, okay, they are eating us out of house and home, Mm -hmm. you know, and we have to say, okay, you can't just snack all day long. I know know, they love snacking. I love the school days. Our kids go to school three days and they're home two days and, but they eat so much more when they're home, you know? Yes, they do. So um, I do have some good tips. I just to put this little plug out there, I do have a free e-course that if your listeners are interested in. Cool. It's called Eating Well on a Budget. It's a five-day video e-course that also has um, printable worksheets and some worksheets they can print out and follow along and do some little assignments. Awesome. And so they can actually just snag that at eatingwellonabudget.com. Okay, eatingwellonabudget.com. Okay. Mm-hmm. I will tell you one of the biggest tips I have that is super easy to implement, if you have one in your area, is that I do ninety more than 95% of my shopping at Aldi. Do you, oh. Are you familiar with Aldi? We, yeah, they they're not as conveniently close to my house, but um, but we do have them. So I, I I still would love to hear what you have to say about them. So you can save a lot of money, especially on produce. But you know, I used to not even buy meat there, but Aldi has really improved their selection. I started eating, I started shopping there right after we got married. So almost 13 years ago. And I can remember friends telling me about it. And I kind of thought, oh, okay, because it just didn't seem <laughs> like know. it was going to be the nicest store. And I will admit, <laughs> yeah. 13 years ago, it really wasn't. Yeah, it's changed, I feel like, it over has the years. changed. But I was amazed even then. Now then, my, my husband and I, we ate all kinds of just processed foods. Now my family tries to eat as healthy as we can, mostly whole foods, um, some organic, not a hundred percent because right. we do have a food budget, yep. um, <laughs> but my entire family's gluten-free. So I will tell you, if oh, you haven't checked yeah. out Aldi in a while, you've definitely got to check it out. Their produce is a good price. Now I have had some complaints and I have recently experienced myself as well um, with some of their produce going bad faster mm. because it's not as refrigerated as, as like Harris Teeter, Kroger, some other stores. Mm. Um, So one tip there is if you're going to go to Aldi, ask somebody that works there, when is your produce restocked? And make that day your shopping day. Mm. And also they have a double quality guarantee on their food. A few weeks ago, I bought some bananas there. Now, bananas are one of those things I don't typically buy organic. And here is the ironic thing. I actually purchased organic bananas that day. Oh, wow. Because my baby boy loves bananas. So I purchased organic bananas. Well, they stayed green for two weeks. Even when I tried the paper bag trick, putting the bananas in the bag. So I took them back. Aldi. And I said, these have never ripened. And they said, we have a double quality guarantee. Go get you some more bananas. And so I would say, um, you know, those are two really good things to keep in mind when you're shopping there. I would say, go for a field trip at Aldi. And if you don't live near an Aldi, um, go for a field trip at whatever kind of discount store you have in your area. I've heard good things about Grocery Outlet and the, I think it's Pacific Northwest. Um, I have visited a Winco before, which reminds me kind of a cross between an Aldi and a Sam's. Mm. Make a date with yourself to go on a field trip to one of these discount stores that you normally would not frequent and go write down how much things cost there and compare them to how much you're spending at wherever you normally shop. And that is going to really help you decide, is this going to be a good choice for my family? And I've had many friends who have made the, the transition to shopping almost exclusively at these no-frills discount supermarket chains. 
Yeah, I love that. Is And so is there um, any other tips that you might have for us for the groceries besides shopping at Aldi's or the, yeah. you know, no yeah. big name? So something else is that not every grocery store has this, but more, a lot do if you actually look for it, is look at the clearance section in the grocery store. So many stores don't want to display fruit that's starting to, or produce in general, starting to get a little bit too ripe, but it's still edible. As well, meat, when it gets near the expiration date, they will slap a you know, $2 off, $5 off, 50% off sticker on it. So what I try to do when I go grocery shopping is I try to find those clearance items first. And when I find them, I'm going to make a mental note of how can I use these things before they go bad. You know, if it's a big bunch of bananas, can I feed these to my baby or do I need to freeze them? Because freezing them will still work and I can freeze them and I can use them later in smoothies, banana bread. That's just one little example. Meat immediately take it home and put it in the freezer. And so if you do that, you're going to be saving money from the get-go from the time you enter the store. And what I like to do, meal planning is, is huge as far as saving money in general, but I like to do what I call backwards meal planning is that when I uh, go to the store and see what's on sale, or you can even look at the ads before you go, see what I can find on clearance, and then make the plan for what our family's going to eat that week based on what I could find for the best price. Yeah, I love that. I mean, because I do feel like, so what? what's hard for me is that when um, I may go to Costco and then, um, you know, we have Publix here um, or Kroger and there's times that, you know, I really want the things at Costco. And so, um, I feel like sometimes when you start adding in multiple stores too, like that can really mess the budget up a lot quicker. So kind of like you were saying, you do like 90% of your shopping at Aldi's. I feel like that kind of helps to, I don't know, like containerize it to some degree. Do you, would you agree? I absolutely agree. And also I would say that when you go to different stores, the more stores you frequent, I don't know about everybody, but I know for me, the more I'm tempted to just purchase things that I wouldn't purchase at other stores. You know, if I go to Target a lot, I'm going to see something on the corner of my eye that I think, oh, this would be great. And it's going to make its way into my grocery cart. And then it's going to start to eat away at my budget. Whereas I, if I just stick to like one or two stores, I kind of know what I always get there and I'm going to stick to my budget better. Um, one thing I like about these no frill stores like Aldi is that they only offer one brand of everything. And so it takes a lot of the decision fatigue away as well. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I completely agree. And you know, a lot of my friends have gone to doing click list uh, with Kroger or the Walmart pickup. So then you're not even going in the store. Then it's really easy to kind of just see online what you're getting. So it's a lot easier to keep track of what you're spending. So um, that definitely is an option. Um, I wanted to say, uh, I feel like people want to put their head in the sand when it comes to their finances. Um, but I know that, you know, that can be so stressful and straining. And, and really, even if you kind of put your head under the sand, it, it doesn't go away. So what is your thoughts with the health benefits of a healthy financial standing for both individuals and families? Well, I think a big, a big benefit is that it eliminates stress in your life. And stress is the more stress we have, the more it will spill over into our overall health. Um, 
I've been reading, I'm a health and wellness geek as far as reading different books that deal with health and wellness. And I've been reading about sleep. I've been reading about hormone balancing lately, heart disease, cancer, and so many of these things get thrown out of whack in our in our health when we're stressed out. And I will tell you those years that we were living on a low income and just really trying to rack our brains for what can we do to improve our our livelihood. It was a seriously stressful time in our lives and being able to learn how to create more income, curb spending and live on a budget has just created so much freedom so that we don't have to day in and day out live with that worry and that fear of the bottom falling out at any time. Yeah. And I was going to ask you if people were really struggling, what would you recommend to the moms out there that know that they're kind of in a, you know, financial stress position and they just want to, you know, start getting out of that? What would you recommend to people feeling really tight or even if they're not in debt, but they just feel really tight, kind of like what you're explaining? What are some tips that you would give them to kind of give them some motivation and some hope that they can start moving in the other direction? Mm-hmm. So I would say if they are really dealing with a lot of financial frustration, the key is finding out what is the root cause of that financial frustration. And I talk a lot in my first book, and I talk about this in my second book a little bit as well, is that what we learned was that most people who are dealing with financial challenges have one or two problems. They either have an income problem or a spending problem. And there's grace for both and there's hope for both. But figuring out that root cause is going to really help you to make some headway on having that financial freedom. And so for our family, we learned that it was an income problem. We um, took a financial planning class at our church and the teacher was a financial planner and he volunteered to come to our home and pour over our finances with us. And he looked through everything. And at the end of doing that, he said, well, you don't have a spending problem because he could see that we weren't overspending. But he said, you do have an income problem. You don't have enough money to live. So how do you figure that out if you have an income problem or a spending problem? The first step I would say is for the next month, track every single penny you spend. It sounds very basic, but it's very helpful. So once you track everything that you're spending from, you know, a bunch of bananas at the store to a pair of ballet slippers or the registration fee for a, you know, a field trip fee or something. Once you do that, then you could see, okay, what are some things that we are spending money on that maybe aren't a necessity for our family, but we're doing it just because we want to. But we are feeling stressed out by doing so. Those are things that you would classify as wants. That might be cable TV. That might be a gym membership. Are these things inherently evil in and of themselves? Absolutely not. You know, my husband goes to the gym. He has a gym membership now. And I'm glad he does because it's helping him be healthy. But we're at the place right now where our family can afford that. If your family's struggling, that might be something you could temporarily remove. So once you figure out Once you separate wants from needs during that one month finance tracking experiment, then you can decide, okay, are there wants we can take away? Are there some things we could do to curb spending so we can feel more breathing room? Or are we truly only spending money on what is essential? Are we only spending money on 
our mortgage, our rent, on food, on our utilities. But we have nothing left to, to even buy clothes if we needed them right now. And, you know, a field trip must be a joke because we sure couldn't pay $5 for a field trip. If you're feeling that crunched, then you may very well have an income problem. And so the solution to that, it may feel very overwhelming when you find out you have an income problem. It did for us. But the solution is how can we create more income? And that's when you start looking at things. Does Does dad need to look for a different career? If mom's working, does she need to look at a different career? Does mom need to go uh, to work full time outside the home, at least temporarily? If that, you know, she feels called to be at home, does she need to be willing to, to temporarily go back to work until the family can figure out something? Or does mom need to look at some way she could create income from home? And my book that's coming out now, You Could Stay Home With Your Kids, I dedicate an entire section of the book to creating more income for home because I firmly believe that everyone has gifts that they can use to create more income. That's a huge part of my story. That is my story. And so I believe that there is hope for anyone who feels financial frustration right now. Well, and Erin, we're almost at the end of the show. And that that makes me think of the last question. And if someone does want, so even if they don't have an income issue, but if they do have an income issue and they're, the, the mom's not working or she is working, but also wants to have a side hustle of some kind, um, how do you go about trying to determine the type of job they should consider if they want a side hustle or if they want to blog or if they want to do something? What is your recommendation? This is one of my favorite topics, Amber. So I would say I really recommend that if uh, your listeners have never taken a personality test, that they do that. The Myers-Briggs is probably my favorite. That will, if you could take a a free version at 16personalities.com, and then once you learn what your personality type is, you could do some research online for what are some good job types for my personality But something else is look back to when you were a little girl. What are some things that you absolutely loved doing? What are things that you would do even if you didn't get paid to do them because you love them so much? For me, it's always been writing and connecting with other people. For someone else, maybe it's painting. One of the ladies I I interviewed and I share her story in my book, um, her name is Joy. She's a mom in, I think, I believe Colorado, and she has always loved to paint. She loved being with children. So her side gig is a face painting business. She opened a business called The Joy of Face Baiting, and now she goes to children's birthday parties and other events, and she is paid to do what she loves, and it helps her provide for her family. So I would say, look at those things that have always made you come alive and start to brainstorm, what are some ways that I can turn this into an income generator for my family? I love that. Yeah. And I do feel like it does help to look back. Um, There's another... There's strength finders as well. And then yes, um, that's I had, a good one. when I started dating my husband oh, a long time ago, there was a book called What Color Is Your Parachute? And that kind of goes into different jobs. So I highly recommend trying to figure out um, your personality. I just had an Enneagram coach on and I'm a two. And so uh, that might not make any sense to you, but um, no, it does. I'm for, a two too. Oh, you're I'm a two. two. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so I feel like that makes um, a difference of knowing, you know, your number and then kind of like, 
where are you when you're healthy? When are you stressed? You know, all those things make such a big difference. So uh, I appreciate you sharing that. Hey, you guys, so don't miss an episode. All you have to do is subscribe to the Mom Inspired Show. That way you get an email every week reminding you that there is a new episode on Tuesday. What you have to do is go to mominspiredshow.com. If you are looking at it on your phone, scroll to the bottom, enter your name and email. If you're looking at it on a desktop, you just go to the far right and click your name and your email and you'll be all set. So Aaron, as we wrap up, where can people find you on social media and your website and also where they can find your book? So my website is thehumbledhomemaker.com. And again, they can sign up for my free e-course, Eating Well on a Budget at eatingwellonabudget.com. I'm on Facebook as The Humbled Homemaker. I'm on Instagram as The Humbled Homemaker. And I'm on Pinterest and Twitter as well, just not quite as often. Mm-hmm. And they can find my new book at youcanstayhomewithyourkids.com. They can also check out my trade book, More Than Just Making It, at morethanjustmakingit.com. Perfect. Well, Erin, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was such a fun episode to have with you. Thank you so much for having me, Amber. I hope you have an awesome day. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'll see you next week. 